Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping when you use the code TMAP at checkout on manscaped.com. Say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money, Underdog Fantasy. They offer season-long best ball contests that you can do from your phone or your computer. With best ball, all you need to do is the fun part. Draft. Forget about injuries, trades, waivers, and setting lineups. Just set it, forget it, and wait for the winnings to come in. This year, they have a $1 million tournament. That's right. Just draft the best team, and you have a shot at $1 million in prizes. Sign up for Underdog today and enter the Best Ball Mania for a chance at $1 million in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching for Underdog Fantasy in your app store. Be sure to enter the code 4 for 4 that's the number 4, F-O-R, number 4 again, after you make your first deposit. Hello and welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your new host, Alex Gelhar. As today's intro song should have pointed out, this is the beginning of a new wave in the T-Map era. That song was in fact titled New Wave by Against Me off the group's fourth album, also titled New Wave. It's honestly not the best song or album by the band, but it felt fitting for this episode because if you've been listening to T-Map for a while, you know the great and irreplaceable Greg Smith has stepped away this season, passing the proverbial torch to yours truly. I'm honored to be here and will do my best to fill Greg's shoes and keep the high-quality fantasy content coming at you each and every week. My inaugural pod at the T-Map wheel will be finishing Greg's positional preview, wrapping up with a tight end position. Today we'll cover the elite tight ends worth taking early, middle round options worth reaching for, and the late round gems with league winning potential. At the end of this pod, you should have all the information you need to tackle the tight end position in your upcoming fantasy draft. Now, helping me along this journey except when it comes to actually tackling George Kittle, is the new face of fantasy at NFL Network, a man with impeccable taste in his clothing and comic books, a man with a rug that really ties the podcasting room together. It's the one and only Marcus Grant. Marcus, welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I mean, you had me at hello, and then you throw in the Lebowski reference, so now I'm all in. <laughs> I mean, I know it's one of your favorite movies, so I had to, to squeeze one in there. And I'm assuming you have a rug that it does, in fact, tie your podcasting homeroom all together. It, I really do. Yeah, absolutely. It's very soft and fluffy. It's great. And no one has soiled it as of yet. All right. Well, before we get into the tight end position, there is some news updates from this past week, you know, with uh, training camps underway and beat reporters furiously tweeting and uh, writing updates uh, that all of us fantasy players are gobbling up and trying to decipher the first of which is that daryl henderson has a mild hamstring injury for the rams the team hope he's back by week one but week one is less than three weeks away uh, marcus does this change how you're viewing cam Akers or henderson uh with drafts coming fast and furious right now not really i mean mostly because i sort of was dubious about everybody in that Rams backfield to this point in the season. I mean, Sean McVay has named pretty much every running back he can think of when he talks about his backfield. So it hasn't given me a ton of confidence in anybody. Uh, if anything, maybe I end up getting Daryl Henderson at a little bit of a better draft value because I'm sure this is going to knock him down some ADP lists. I just think that he and Akers and probably Malcolm Brown are going to be kind of a three-headed monster back there, which is going to make it really frustrating for all of us. And so I will take the guy that I think is sort of that intersection between 
uh, draft value and potential production. For me, that has been Daryl Henderson. So when I have decided to take a swing at the Rams backfield, which hasn't been very often, it has been Henderson. And so if anything, like I said, th this maybe gives me a potential better value for when he is available. Because I, I think even when he comes back from injury, it's not like it's going to be completely the Cam Akers show. Henderson is still going to have a role there for the Rams. Yeah, absolutely. With some of these kind of cloudy backfields that don't have a true standout or a guy that I'm 100% in love with from a talent or projection point, I tend to side with the guy that's going to come at the better draft value. So I think you're, you're spot on with, with Henderson maybe actually gaining a little appeal if he continue, if his ADP falls. Uh, the Raiders added veteran pass-catching specialist Theo Riddick to the roster in what they called a quote-unquote depth move, according to Vic Tafur, who tells fantasy players not to worry. John Gruden also said earlier uh, the same weekend that he wants to get Jacobs on the field more on third downs. So, Marcus, are you at all worried about Jacobs' volume in the passing game? It has been something that a lot of fantasy analysts have been uh, scratching their heads over as uh, we look at Jacobs with a late first, early second round ADP. No, I'm not worried about his volume in the passing game because he didn't really have much volume in the passing game to begin with last year. Uh, I think he caught 20 passes on 30 targets or something like that. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was a, a huge contributor to that. Now, I hope that goes up. I am sort of buying this idea that Theo Riddick is just there as a depth player. I don't think he's going to have a huge role. I think, you know, if there is a pass catching back, it is still primarily going to be Jalen Richard in that backfield. Um, I did sort of laugh when a couple of weeks ago, uh, Josh Jacobs said he wants to catch 60 passes this year. And I went and I looked at the Raiders stats and like Darren Waller had 90 catches, which obviously was very good. The next closest was Hunter Renfro at 49. And I'm like, so wow. So no wide, no wide receiver on the Raiders had 60 catches. So I think it's, it's a little bit ambitious for Josh Jacobs to say he's going to catch 60 passes. Uh, I do know that Tafur also said, uh, he could see Jacobs doubling his catch total from last year, so that would put him at 40, which honestly, if, if he catches 40 passes, I think he's you know well into the top 10 and then maybe like a top seven or eight back at that point. So uh, I haven't really made much of this news. I know that, you know, because every time there's a signing, fantasy Twitter gets all buzzy and stuff. I really didn't feel like the Theo Riddick news was much to really concern myself about. I, I still feel... Uh, pretty good about Josh Jacobs late first, early second, before and after Theo Riddick. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned with how things are going to shake out there. Yeah, I think you made some good points. I mean, the addition of Henry Ruggs also should eat up some targets in that passing mm -hmm. game. It kind of reminds me of the always the Adrian Peterson endless story we'd hear early in his career that he was working on his pass catching, <laughs> was going to catch 50 passes every offseason. You know, it was a time-honored tradition. <laughs> but Jacobs proved last year he can still be a tremendous fantasy asset just with what he does on the ground and his touchdown upside. So even if he adds, you know, like you said, if he if he can get up and double his catches into that 30 to 40 range, that's still some nice added value that's going to secure his floor for you on a weekly basis. So I think I think there's nothing to worry about here. Something that might be more concerning and for your team is Brandon Ayuk pulled up on a deep route and grabbed the back of his leg with what appears to be a hamstring injury. Never a good sign for a speedy deep threat wide receiver and a guy that likes to be dynamic after the catch. So with Debo Samuel already injured, Ayuk facing a hamstring, are there any 49ers receivers climbing your draft boards or is it just all in on George Kittle? Yeah, it's mostly George Kittle. Uh, I know that, you know, for the what third year in a row, I think we have heard a lot of Dante Pettis hype and I can't, I can't buy into that this year. I, I think we've seen sort of how that movie ends. If, if you're asking me if I have to take a 49ers receiver, maybe I take some shots at Kendrick, Kendrick Bourne. Uh, I know there had been some excitement about Jalen Hurd, but now it looks like he's got a torn ACL and it's probably going to miss the entire season. So he is sort of out. 
Uh, I, I think what ends up happening is they go very heavy on Kittle, and I think you see the running backs catch the football a lot more. I've heard reports that Raheem Mostert has been working on his pass-catching skills. Tevin Coleman is still there. We know he can catch the football if need be. Uh, you know, who knows what happens. You know, Kyle Juszczyk, you know, maybe he ends up catching a few more passes out of the backfield as that, as that fullback sort of thing. So that is probably where I would focus my attention. I think even with these receivers, whether it is Pettis, whether it's Trent Taylor, whether it's Kendrick Bourne, uh, I think then they signed Tavon Austin too. I think he's floating around. I believe they did just they did just <laughs> sign Tavon Austin. I think yeah. he's floating around on the roster. I think whoever it is is going to be a short-term stopgap solution. They hope that Debo Samuel is going to be ready by week one, but even then, if he's not, I don't think he's going to miss too many games into the regular season. Hopefully, this Ayuk injury isn't a serious one, so he will be ready to go fairly early in the season. So whoever it is that that steps up in their absence is going to be a short-term fix and not not one that I would want to spend even an end-of-round draft pick on. Yeah, I've just, you know, the way they split up those targets last year, Samuel had 81, but then after that, it was just kind of a mixed bag because Kyle Shanahan loves to keep his uh, personnel groupings versatile and kind of scheme different guys open. So nobody had really like a reliable target share in that passing game. Maybe that changes a little bit if they if their defense regresses a touch and they get into more pass-heavy game scripts. But I think there's other high upside players on different teams that rather take a stab at late than the 49ers wide receivers. Uh, and speaking of wide receivers, Mike Williams seemed to have dodged a serious injury because uh, he doesn't have a broken collarbone, as Ian uh, as Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said after he landed. Uh, Williams, that is, landed hard on his shoulder following an incompletion. But it sounds like uh, Williams is week to week, and Anthony Lynn maybe even said he might be out a little longer. So has this completely sunk Mike Williams' late-round appeal to you? I know when I appeared as a, as a guest on your Fantasy Live podcast, Matt Harmon was hyping up uh, Mike Williams as one of his favorite late-round targets. But what do you think this injury does to Williams' value? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping uh, that maybe it helps me get him at an even later round. I, I'm sort of with Harmon. I was coming around on, on what his potential was, especially because of where he was going in drafts. I mean, I was seeing him still on the board in the 11th round, which man, a guy that, that has deep ball upside, that has has some touchdown upside, why not take a shot at that sort of guy that late in the draft? So now maybe it pushes him down even further a round or two, which, hey, look, I'll, I'll still take the shot. I, I think I have sort of talked myself into parts of this Charger offense. I, I've sort of talked myself into believing, maybe not drafting Tyrod Taylor, but believing at least he can sort of keep this offense moving, right? He can keep the chains moving. He can distribute the football, whether it is to Keenan Allen or Mike Williams when he's healthy, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, what have you. So that has given me a little bit more confidence. And, and so now we are literally talking probably an end of draft uh, upside pick with Mike Williams. At this point, I will, at that point, I'll probably have a pretty solid stable of wide receivers on my fantasy roster. So why not take a chance on a guy that does have a lot of touchdown upside and hope that when he is healthy, whenever that is, he can come in and be a, a contributor to your fantasy roster. Yeah, you know, especially if his ADP falls even a little bit more deeper into those double-digit rounds, if he's only going to maybe miss a couple weeks to start the season, we have seen some wide receivers in the past come in and still put up really good numbers missing those early weeks. So if you can get him at, at enough of a depth in your roster and you have the, the wide receivers to fill your necessary spots and flex positions, Mike Williams could absolutely be a steal then if you just can can ride him on the bench for a couple weeks to start the season especially if your league, like I know we're doing in a couple of mines, is ex my leagues is expanding bench spots to try and address any COVID concerns and allowing rosters to have a little bit more flexibility and depth. Um, speaking of depth on rosters, we've got Damian Harris 
continuing to impress at Patriots camp, uh, stealing the hearts and minds of fantasy analysts all over the country. So given the injuries around Sonny Michel, he had foot surgery, or I believe it was this offseason, uh, and James White being there, Cam Newton being there. Is Damian Harris somebody that's rising up uh, to be a late-round star for you in fantasy drafts, or are you still worried about Bellatrix? Um, you know, I, I can't say that I've drafted Damian Harris anywhere, but I can I can tell you a story where I think there's there is upside for him right there, right? I mean, at this point, we we know what everybody in that Patriots backfield is, right? We know Sony Michelle is a guy who, you know, on top of the injury concerns, just really underperformed last year in, in terms of his efficiency with the football in his hands. We know James White can be a nice outlet, especially in the passing game uh, for Cam Newton. But you know, his ceiling is sort of limited, I think, on a week-to-week basis. And the floor is its fine. It's nothing to get really excited about. So I think you've got a guy in Damian Harris who sort of combines the best of both worlds. I think he can be an effective rusher when they need him to be. He can catch the football out of the backfield when they need him to. And so he can sort of be uh, that guy. And, I mean, you know this. We love upside. We love youth. We love talent. And we love opportunity. And I think all three of those things could combine with Damian Harris – I know people have questions about the Patriots offense overall, and I think that has contributed a lot to what his ADP is right now. And, and so, like I said, I, I haven't drafted him anywhere, but I I could see certainly him being laid on the board and taking that swing and, and hoping that it turns into something because, man, we know that uh, we know Belichick and, and Josh McDaniels have have found gold in a lot of places. I say this as somebody who was fortunate enough to take advantage of the Jonas Gray game. So uh, it is certainly possible that Damian Harris could blossom into something nice. Oh, man, Jonas Gray. There's a name I haven't heard in a while. Four <laughs> touchdowns, like 220 yards. Was it on a Monday night football game? Uh, Sunday it? night. It was a Sunday night. Sunday night. I knew it was yeah. an island game. And mm-hmm. then uh, a week or two later, summarily kicked off the team for missing a meeting. Uh, but uh, Damian Harris was actually a good uh, production profile from uh, – he was in college at Alabama on the same time as Josh Jacobs. He's got pretty good size and measurables. He was uh, building up some steam last year, but injuries sidelined his rookie career, or his rookie season, rather, and uh, he's certainly a name to watch at the end of drafts. So I kind of like taking him, uh, you know, as one of those guys like him and Bryce Love late in drafts that, as you mentioned, you could tell yourself a story where this guy comes in and has a dynamite, uh, maybe league-winning type season, and if not, you're only out a, a late double-digit round pick, uh, assuming ADPs don't continue to skyrocket. And, uh... To round out the news, uh, my least favorite offseason story nowadays, the Packers' <laughs> quest for a receiver behind Devontae Adams. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling has impressed lately in camp, but we all know that Aaron Rodgers has eyes for Alan Lazard, as he made it clear last season when he finally got Lazard into the starting lineup. Are any of these guys catching your eye late in drafts, or is this a position group that you're avoiding like the 49ers receiver? Yeah, for the most part, I'm staying away, which is wild, right? Because I think Devontae Adams can end up as the wide receiver one this year. And beyond that, there's nobody else in that offense that I'm willing to. And I think because I'm not willing to touch anybody else in that offense is part of the reason I think Devontae Adams is going to be so productive. I just think that when everything breaks down, when things start to go wrong, that's where Aaron Rodgers is going to look. I mean, let's be honest, like you, me, everybody. Devontae Adams himself thought the Packers were going to draft a wide receiver, and we were all shocked when it didn't happen. So I can see him getting in the neighborhood of 150 targets this year. I think it's going to be huge. I do know, you know, I've had several people tell me that they are maybe thinking Jay Sternberger could do something, uh, you know, and be a a potential target for, for Aaron Rodgers. And I feel like Jay Sternberger is going to be on the latest list of Packer fanboy hopefuls. Like, you know, a, a, 
I, I call it the, the Jeff Janice memorial list, you know, like going all the way back to that. So <laughs> I, I know there's, there's hopefulness around it and, you know, maybe one of these guys pops, but I, I don't have enough confidence in any of them to, to take a shot at them. Yeah. In, in a redraft format, I'm, I'm not in love with any of the options, maybe a little Alan Lazard, but I think uh, MVS has some appeal in best ball formats uh, mm-hmm. just because if he does hit, he is going to get those valuable deep targets. I mean, you look at that game he had against Oakland last season, three targets, two catches, 133 yards, one touchdown. Uh, of course, you know, sandwiched around that was a one catch four yard game and a two catch 48 <laughs> yard game. But uh, for the best ball format where you don't have to worry about starting him week in and week out and you can just take those highs and, you know, take him to the bank in your format, I think he might have some appeal as a late round dart throw there. All right, before we get to the tight end strategy preview here, I got to take another second to tell you all about Manscaped, uh, one of the premier places to get uh, below the belt grooming. They have an excellent uh, lawn mower 3.0, it's called their new uh, trimmer uh, downstairs. And let me tell you, this thing is great. It's got an LED light. There's no snags, no pulls. Uh, You know, it's quarantine. My hair is getting real long. I know, Marcus, you said your hair was getting pretty long. We're talking about hair on top of our heads, but it's important still to take care of everything in quarantine. And uh, let me tell you, this was great. And it's not just the trimming products as well. They've got a lot of great other products as well. Personally, uh, because my hair is getting so long, I've been a big fan of their cleanser uh, body wash and shampoo. Can let it sit in there for a little while. really helps get all the snarls and give my hair a nice, soft feeling and a flow. Uh, They've got one of those great totes for traveling as well that I I picked up. Um, It's great to carry all of my products to and from. And then uh, an underrated underrated product as well for Manscaped, I would say, is their their ball deodorant. You know, you get out of the shower, <laughs> you can uh, tighten everything up in that area as well, and then just stay feeling fresh all day. So whatever your needs are, be sure to check out Manscaped.com and use the code TMAP for 20% off and free shipping. I mean, this is a total steal. And if you're going to experiment with stuff like this, quarantine's the time, man. Get your system down, find the products right, and then eventually we can get back out into the real world. Don't forget TMAP for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. All right, now the moment you've all been waiting for, our deep dive into the redheaded stepchild of fantasy football, the position we put in the closet under the stairs like a young Harry Potter, the position picked last in kickball at recess. That's right, it's time to talk tight ends. Now, jokes aside, the tight end position is an important one in fantasy leagues. There are certainly elite options that can give you a weekly edge matchup-based streaming options, and even some safer weekly set-it-and-forget-it guys. So Marcus, what's your general approach to the tight end position in fantasy as we approach the 2020 season? It has generally been to pay up and get the elite guys or wait uh, until late in the draft and get those upside guys. I mean, there are, there are plenty of places uh, where I've drafted George Kittle. I think I've got a couple of teams that have Travis Kelsey on them. Uh, but if I don't get those two guys, maybe even a Mark Andrews uh, fairly early, if I don't get one of those three guys, though, I'm waiting till the late rounds. I know we're going to get to some of those late round guys, but I will take a shot at a lot of those kind of upside guys, maybe guys in new places, guys with emerging offenses, um, or, or guys who have just taken over new roles in their offense that have the chance to be productive. So I have felt better when I have kind of gone in those middle round guys. I just look at the rest of my roster and I don't feel all that excited about it. So I'm, I'm either early or I'm late. I am very rarely in between. I think I'm kind of going with the general approach because as we'll get into, some of those elite guys really give you an edge. And where they go in drafts, they can put up similar, if not better, numbers to some of the wide receivers that go in that same area. 
And then by waiting late, uh, you know, last year, there were a lot of late round guys that vaulted up into the top five or TE1, you know, positions in, in 12 team leagues like Darren Waller and Mark Andrews, to name a few. So by not maybe reaching for one of those middle ground guys, you can take a couple shots at those late round guys and hope that they hit that that high ceiling. And if they don't, well, guess what? Most leagues only start one tight end. There's going to be more on the waiver wire. So before we dive in, I just wanted to take a quick trip down memory lane and remind everyone of what happened at the position in 2019. So the usual suspects of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz finished as the tight end one, tight end two, and tight end four, respectively, in PPR formats. Uh, And those aforementioned late round superstars, Darren Waller and Mark Andrews, rounded out the rest of the top five. Uh, Austin Hooper, Jared Cook, Tyler Higby, Hunter Henry, and Dallas Goddard rounded out the top 10 with the apparently age-defying Jason Witten as the tight end 11 (laughs) and rookie Mike Gesicki as the tight end 12. Uh, Travis Kelsey led the pack in receptions with 97 and yards at with 1,229, while Waller and Kittle were the only other two to join Kelsey in the 1,000-yard club. Uh, Mark Andrews paced the position in touchdowns with 10, followed by Jared Cook and Darren Fells with seven, two names that might surprise (laughs) some people when you think back to uh, the 2019 season, which happened ages ago. All right, so turning our eyes to 2020, here's a quick rundown of the top tight end ADP rankings based on 444's aggregate rankings, which you can, of course, find at 444.com. Travis Kelsey is the top tight end off the board with an early second round ADP. Kittle is going around the two to three turn with Andrews and Ertz carrying fourth round price tags as of the moment. So Marcus, you mentioned you're usually either paying up for the position or waiting. Who among those top four early round tight ends do you feel the most comfortable taking at their cost? Uh, For me, it's easily George Kittle. Uh, I I have been on record as saying, I think this is the year he ascends past Travis Kelsey and becomes the tight end one in fantasy football. And I, I thought that before even the rash of injuries that have hit the 49ers wide receivers that we talked about earlier. And I think now that only sort of reemphasizes that. I mean, you're talking about getting him at that two, three turn um, with, with the upside to match, as you mentioned, some of those elite, some of those top tier wide receivers, potentially, I think I'm going to do that all day. I'm okay with Andrews too uh, in the fourth round because of what we saw him do last year and this talk that the Ravens might throw the football a little bit more, which is only going to help Mark Andrews potentially. But I think hands down, if you can give me Kelsey uh, late second, early third round, I will take that all day. Yeah, I, I really like uh, George Kittle as well. I mean, th- he only scored five touchdowns last year, but when you look at that 49ers offense, it's kind of one that, that looks like it's ripe to have a bit of a turnaround in the passing department. They were hyper-efficient running the ball and had a very strong defense. And if either of those um, aspects regress just a little bit, there's going to be a little bit more on Jimmy Garoppolo's shoulders to take take to the air more. And George Kittle is just a matchup nightmare, and Kyle Shanahan is a scheming genius to put him in situations where he is going to be, you know, in mismatches even more so than he would normally. So I would not be surprised, you know, to have George Kittle score double digit touchdowns. That is a high bar, but I think he's an easy candidate to get more than his five that he scored last year, probably cross a thousand yards and, and rack it up. The other one that I really like, I think Kelsey is, is just safe. We've seen him do this for, for year after year, you know, put up around a thousand yards, get close to 10 touchdowns, 90 receptions. I think he can just take it to the bank. But Mark Andrews is the other one that I like to take. I've actually found him slipping a little bit in some drafts. can't quite tell why. But he was a top five tight end last year, despite playing way fewer snaps than the other guys due to um, his injuries and some kind of how the Ravens offense worked. So 
with Hayden Hurst out of the picture now as well, and with you know that offense similarly being hyper-efficient running the ball, maybe needing to pass a little bit more, I think there's an easy story to tell yourself where Andrews uh, is getting a high number of touchdown to- and end zone targets again, but also just increasing his yardage and reception totals as well to make him even more of a safe weekly bet to play, uh, especially coming at that elite cost. After those big four, we enter a portion of the draft that reminds me of the Fire Swamp from The Princess Bride, but instead of rodents of unusual size, this portion (laughs) of drafts is filled with tight ends of unusual ADPs. We've got Darren Waller in the fifth, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, and Rob Gronkowski in the sixth round, Tyler Higby in the seventh, and finally we have Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper, and Noah Fant going uh, in the late eighth to ninth rounds. I think Fant maybe is getting a little wishy-washy in that area, but uh, last I checked, four for four's ADPs, that's where he was still going, so... Uh, we both kind of have mentioned similar thoughts here, um, tending to avoid some of these guys at their ADPs. Um, but Marcus, of this group, is there anybody at all that stands out to you as somebody you'd feel a little bit more comfortable taking at or around their current ADP? Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone, it's, it's Hayden Hurst for me. Um, I mean, let's let's not forget, it's not that long ago. He was a first-round pick in the actual NFL draft. Um, his his misfortune was going to a team that hoards toilet hoards tight ends like toilet paper. Um, just like they had so many guys on that roster that it was hard. And then on top of it, you know, Mark Andrews had the breakout season last year and, and obviously became the tight end of record in Baltimore. So that sort of made it tough on Hurst. But now he goes to Atlanta. Uh, Austin Hooper is out of the picture in Cleveland, which is. That's a that fit, by the way, is I think it's great for actual football. It's great for the Browns. I think it's going to destroy Austin Hooper's fantasy value with so many guys uh, for Mayfield to throw the football to. But I, I like Hurst's opportunity. He may not absorb all of the vacated targets uh, that Hooper left behind, but I think he's going to get quite a few of them. I think they're going to figure out a way to use his athleticism to their advantage. And, and I think he really does sort of blossom into the guy that I thought he could be when he was first drafted by Baltimore. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I don't necessarily love any of these sort of middle round guys, but if there was one I'm going to pick there, it, it's probably going to be Hayden Hurst. I know I took Hunter Henry in a couple places, but I just didn't like the roster construction after that. I do think Darren Waller takes a step back just because of, of the pass catchers you mentioned that the Raiders added. Um the reason he caught so many balls, I think, was sort of out of necessity. Um, yeah, Alex, think about this. It was almost a year ago, right? We were in the middle of hard knocks last year when the Raiders were going through the Antonio Brown, like, frozen feet, bad helmet saga. I know it, it feels, it, like, it feels like It feels like a decade ago, honestly. <laughs> but it was pretty much a year ago when this was happening. And so when that went south and then Tyrell Williams got hurt, that opened some things up for, for Darren Waller. I just don't see those conditions being the same for him to, to repeat this year. Yeah, I agree. I love War- Waller's got a great story. I love the player. I had him in a bunch of leagues last year, and he was terrific. But as you mentioned, it was kind of just that he became a target vacuum with a, a dearth of other options there. And now that they went and spent a first-round pick on Henry Ruggs, they added, as you mentioned, Theo Riddick. Uh, there's Hunter Renfro still and other people they've picked up in the passing game. Uh, I just think uh, Waller probably still at the end of the year, you look at it and you'll be like, wow, those are those are solid tight end stats. But if you sink your fifth or sixth round pick into them, the opportunity cost of passing on somebody like maybe Terry McLaurin or, you know, Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift, that's going to have a similar ADP. You're going to be looking back, I think, and kicking yourself. So he's somebody maybe if he falls a little bit, I wouldn't be as opposed to that. Um I'm worried about Rob Gronkowski, you know, because that mm-hmm. offense is, is loaded. Rob, Gronkowski's older. 
Apparently he's running well in camp right now, but the last time we actually saw him on a football field, he was looking, you know, like a, a cardboard cutout trying to run down the field because injuries had just taken such a toll on his body. Uh, one of these guys that also interests me, I'm with you on Hayden Hurst, uh, is Tyler Higby. Uh, I understand there's some concerns, you know, maybe Gerald Everett's coming, going to steal some looks, and uh, that Rams offense has quite a few mouths to feed, but once that offense was switching to running more two tight end sets late last year, Higby was a monster, and the offense kind of found its stride. They they scored far more points per game down the stretch, and, and Higby was a big reason why. So he's a guy I feel a little bit better taking in these middle rounds, but still, I'm with you. Generally, when his name is starting to, to show up in, in cues, I'm still looking at other positions and preferring the options there. Uh, and with Hurst, I heard a great stat actually earlier today on the Living the Stream podcast that they were mentioning it was just a few years ago that um, – or several years ago, that Matt Ryan had thrown almost 70% of his targets, I think it was 67%, to his top two wideouts at the time were Julio Jones, Roddy White, and Tony Gonzalez. So with Hurst there replacing Hooper, there's a chance for that passing offense to be very concentrated in Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Hayden Hurst. So I definitely like his upside in the middle rounds as well. Um, Finally, we come to everyone's favorite portion of the tight end board, the end. (laughs) <laughs> sleepers, the guys you can pick up for pennies on the dollar who have the potential to vault into the top of the scoring tier. So rather than go through all of the guys here, because I actually think, you know, I feel like we say this to ourselves every year, but tight end is kind of deep, especially when you look at some of these late round guys with a lot of upside. So we'll just kind of go rapid ish fire with a few of the guys we like and give the case for why they're a good pick in the double digit to, to almost the end of draft. So Marcus, why don't you kick things off with one of your late round sleepers all right first i'll say you know we do this every year right august september we're like tight end is deep and then we get to like october november we're like man there are no tight ends out yep. here like what is going on um i'll say the first one on my list and he has kind of been everybody's i think favorite sleeper tight end is mike gasicki uh he finished the season really strong now part of that was preston williams gets hurt uh the dolphins were really trying to find some help but gasicki started to run more routes he started to become more of a target in the red zone uh, I think that sort of continues this year. It, it looks like Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be back. And so, you know, having the having the Red Baron back there just slinging the rock, I think, is a, a positive thing for Gasicki. And I think this is when he starts to ascend as a fantasy tight end. Yeah, I like the Gasicki pick. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of into the Dolphins offense this year just because everybody has such late ADPs. I think there are going to be a couple people to pop off from that group. As you mentioned, Gasicki and other parts of the whole, whole unit started to play well down the stretch and – with Fitzpatrick there to start things off, maybe Tua to pick things up later. Uh, I, I'm kind of liking that offense, given how cheap all of their players are in drafts. Uh, one of mine that I like, uh, he's kind of injured right now, so we got to watch this, but it's Dallas Goddard. And that's because the pass-catching situation in Philadelphia is basically a giant question mark behind Zach Ertz. Like, you've got Deshaun Jackson returning. You've got rookie Jalen Rhaegar, and reports are he's doing well in camp. But then Alshon Jeffrey might start on the pup. J.J. Arthago-Whiteside, we're not sure if he's going to land after a flop his rookie year. But last year, basically their top two options were Ertz and Goddard, and they they put up good numbers, and that offense is clever in how they used both of them. So considering, you know, Ertz is carrying, as we mentioned earlier, a fourth-round price tag, Goddard is going, I don't know, six to eight to ten rounds later, depending on on the size of your league and, and the draft client you're using. I think he's a guy with, with solid upside to push 
for, you know, 700 to 1,000 yards and, and maybe even get the 5 to 10 touchdown range as well. And for a late-round tight end, that, that's going to be solid value there. Who, who else is uh, do you have has your eye, Marcus, in the late rounds here at tight end? Uh, I've, I've been going with John New Smith. I think in a couple of places on a couple of podcasts, I think I had my hot take as John New Smith is going to win some people some fantasy championships. Um, that take has gotten a little bit hotter than I think I wanted it to be, but I still, I'm still sort of buying in on him. I mean, th- this after what we saw Ryan Tannehill do last year, the fact that the Titans got more efficient throwing the football when Tannehill took over from Marcus Mariota, I think they they sort of take the reins off a little bit more this year. Uh, Johnu takes over for Delaney Walker, who's no longer there in Tennessee, and they need to find another target not named A.J. Brown. We know they're not really going to throw the football to, to Derrick Henry. That's just not what they do. I mean, we... I, I wish they like, would, but... Right, I mean, it'd be great. It would be, but I don't think it's going to happen. I feel like after Devontae Parker finally had his breakout season, I think Corey Davis now slides into that, like, you know, that wishful, like, there. I think there are still Corey Davis stands out there that are still waiting for him to kind of take off. I'm not one of them, but they may still exist. I still think there's a, there is an opportunity for John New Smith to step in there and be productive. And again, we're talking late round guys here. So if it doesn't work out, you really haven't invested a whole lot in it. But I, but I do think there's an opportunity for John New Smith to be a real playmaker in that offense. Yeah, uh, Smith has flashed at times. He really hasn't had the volume yet. I mean, he's had a couple decent weeks where you could start him in DFS or stream him. But uh, Delaney Walker, you know, had a great second half of his career with the Titans, and it's kind of been a progress stopper for Smith there. But Walker's getting up there in age and had all his injuries, and now it could be time for Smith to shine as the guy. So I am with you on that pick as well. Um, Another one that I like uh, is TJ Hawkinson. And now I keep picking all the guys with slight injury concerns here. He suffered his (laughs) ankle injury last year. Uh, finished the season with just uh, 59 targets, 32 receptions, uh, 367 yards, and two touchdowns. But, I mean, this guy was getting Gronk comparisons to, to early career Gronk. They were calling him TJ Gronkinson because he could block, <laughs> he could catch. He was uh, uh, just a total mismatch out on the field. And I think part of the reason why I like Hawkinson is that this the Lions offense isn't super deep at all their skill positions. So they're going to need to rely on Hawkinson. But, you know, behind Galladay and Marvin Jones, the wide receivers are a little wishy-washy. Behind DeAndre Swift, the uh, the running back pool. I mean, sorry, Carryon Johnson, but I think your time is the as the featured back or yeah. even a, you know, a sizable back with a, a workload there is, uh, is coming to an end. But Hawkinson could be a great late-round guy. I also really like this Lions offense in general. Matt Stafford was playing out of his mind to start last year before he got injured. Uh, hate on pace stats, but he was on pace for like 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. So if this offense kind of gets back into that groove, and they might have to because I don't think their defense is going to be the most staunch unit in the world, we could see a really lights-out season from Stafford, and all of his uh, skill position players could see a benefit as a result. Yeah, I've been big on Stafford, by the way, too, this year. I think Stafford's going to have a really good season. He's he's quickly becoming one of my, one of my favorite later-round quarterbacks to get, and uh, I'm going to try to get him in as many drafts as I can here. Uh, Marcus, let's do one more late round guy since, as we mentioned, this this area is so rich with potential, and I really like the last guy you have on your list here. So, so sell me on why he's he's a late round target. Yeah, Blake Jarwin, uh, and and I will I will admit to saying that it was Adam Rank that sold me on Blake Jarwin, and so now I've been sort of trying to you know promote this to the world as well. Um, you talked about last year, and Jason Witten was the tight end eleven, and he basically just would catch the ball and fall down, like that was kind of all he did, and he somehow ended up you know almost a top ten tight end. Now you've got a guy in his place who's younger, who's more athletic, uh, in what has become a, I won't say pass happy, because they actually, I think, ran the football more than they threw it last year, but it is becoming a more Dak-centric offense. 
Uh, it is one that they are more up-tempo. I think they had the eighth most offensive plays in the league last year, so they run a lot of plays. Uh, and with everybody trying to, you know, pick your poison with the wide receivers, you know, do we stop Amari Cooper? Do we pay attention to, to Michael Gallup? Do we go after C.D. Lamb? Like, how do we do this? I think there's some opportunities for Jarwin to sort of work underneath. You don't need gargantuan statistics to be a top 10 or top 12 fantasy tight end. But I think that Jarwin uh, can do enough to kind of get in that sort of bottom end of the tight end one range. And I actually, you know, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I have been trying to get as many pieces of the Cowboys offense as I possibly can, because I think they're going to just be a very productive group. And I think Jarwin is going to be a recipient of some of that. Man, the, you're absolutely right. With the, it pains me to admit it, but that Cowboys offense looks just <laughs> good. incredible it's on so paper. Good. They went, they went and added CD Lamb in the draft. They, they upgraded over Jason Witten to Blake Jarwin, as you mentioned, a younger, <laughs> faster, more agile model. Um, so, like Jason Witten last season had about 14% of the targets in Dallas, which is why he was, I think, able to through sheer volume, uh, despite the fact that you mentioned he always fell down, stumble into a top 12 tight end finish in PPR. Uh, Jarwin, if he gets similar volume, could could easily exceed that with more dynamism after the catch, maybe the ability to break some tackles and get into the end zone a couple more times. It just kind of, this whole uh, Dallas offense gives me kind of, especially since their head coach is there, uh, like 2011 Packers vibes. You know, the year they went 15 and one and looked like <laughs> world beaters lost in the playoffs. But Mike McCarthy was the head coach. They had Jermichael Finley at tight end. They had a bevy of great receivers around Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so I'm look I'm looking to get pieces of that offense as you mentioned because uh, the sky could be the limit. I mean they were terrific last year and uh, expectations are even higher. If they don't deliver, we're all going to be very sad. Uh, all right, for my last late round tight end, man, there's still some good options here in the group I listed, but I think I'm going to go with Chris Herndon because Ooh. I think we've kind of forgotten about him from suspensions and the facts that he plays on the Jets, but. Uh, the Jets right now, speaking of teams uh, on the flip side of the Cowboys that have maybe a lack of options, the Jets' starting receivers are looking dismal, uh, like Jamison Crowder and a bunch of guys while Denzel Mims works his way back from injury, and uh, Brashad Perriman is there, but Herndon, we saw some flashes. Um, he's an athletic guy, he's got great hands, and uh, he's somebody that Sam Darnold could be looking to a lot more in this offense. He is, sounds ready to go. And uh, with so few other options there in that Jets offense, I think he's a guy that could end up getting a ton of volume and really, really surprising a lot of people and climbing into that top 12 tight ends there. And as we mentioned, you know, if it doesn't work out, there's plenty of other guys to pick up. O.J. Howard, Irv Smith, you know, the list goes on and on with the late round uh, tight end options. Jay Sternberger, as you mentioned earlier, for the <laughs> Packers. So it is a deep position here at the end. It's, it's the This crop is one I personally like to, to pick from more maybe even taking one or two stabs, and if neither of those guys hit, dropping them, picking somebody else up. But in the event you do get a Darren Waller, you do get a Mark Andrews, your team is just set because you spent those earlier rounds loading up at running back and wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what? It's funny, too. Like, there's so many things about – there are many pieces with the Jets that I would love, like, if Adam Gase weren't associated with them, right? Like, like I still think Le'Veon Bell can be a very good running back, but it seems like the Jets don't really want to use him like that. I think Chris Herndon is a talented guy. I like Denzel Mims. Uh, I just feel like, you know, Adam Gase, everything he touches just falls apart. So <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, though. There. Put a put a pin in Le'Veon Bell for the uh, the Adam Gase revenge year when he is no longer with Gase, whether right. it's at the Jets or the next team, like Kenyon, <laughs> Kenyon Drake and all these other guys we've seen leave Adam Gase's uh, you know watchful eyes and then flourish elsewhere. So save it, you know trade buy low on Le'Veon Bell and Dynasty <laughs> Leagues and, and cash in once he's uh, away from Adam Gase. 
Uh, Marcus, any final thoughts on the tight end position here as we wrap up this preview and people are gearing up for drafts all across the country? Uh, you know, other than I think, uh, like I said, I, I think either you either go early and you get one of the elite guys and know that you're going to be set week to week or you, you sort of wait until late. Uh, just because I think I think what happens if you get another middle round guy, you end up sort of streaming the position just like mm-hmm. you would if you waited till the end. The difference is you mentioned the opportunity cost. You'll, you'll kind of kick yourself thinking about the players you could have drafted in that spot uh, while you still ended up drafting or, or uh, streaming a tight end. But other than that, uh, you know, hey, happy drafting. I'd say wait as long as possible before you have your draft because who knows what's going to happen with COVID. Uh, otherwise, this is going to be, I know it sounds trite and cliche but this is going to be a season unlike any we have ever seen it's, it's going to be wild this year that is that is so true i i am eagerly awaiting week one because it's going to be surreal but man <laughs> am, am i looking forward to it getting here and having rosters and the twitter timeline you know going all slot machine when uh, something crazy happens it's going to be fun uh, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head as we wrap up the tight end position here. Some of those middle round guys, I also don't think it's we're saying completely avoid them. It's just maybe wait for a better cost. Yeah. So you're not missing opportunities on other players because that's the real rub when you're taking a an Evan Ingram in the sixth or Darren Waller in the fifth here is that the options, especially at wide receiver, you know, I mentioned Terry McLaurin, but guys like DJ Chark and DK Metcalf, and I'm just going off the top of my head here, not even pulling up ADP. There can be so much value at wide receiver and running back. And in this strange uh, COVID, you know, factored season, you may need to have even more of those guys and getting getting some big hitters in those areas that can that can break out for you or be weekly fixtures in your lineup is, is much more important than getting one of these tight ends. And there's just so there's a lot of variance with those guys, too. You know, I mentioned Jared Cook scored nine touchdowns last year. I don't think <laughs> right. there's any chance he's going to get nine touchdowns again this year. And even, you know, the even if he drops three or four touchdowns and, and scores five or six, that's still going to be a big hit off of his overall production in that Saints offense that will have more targets going to Alvin Kamara. It's going to have a lot of targets going to Michael Thomas, obviously, and added Emmanuel Sanders. So, you know, just be, be prudent and watch the draft board when it comes to the tight end position. Some of these guys still could be great values, especially if they plummet a little bit. But don't forget that there is tremendous value waiting at the end of the draft if you miss those elite guys. Uh, well, Marcus, this has been a pleasure. Sorry we had some uh, technological issues hiccuping the recording, but it's good to chat <laughs> with you again. Why don't you tell everybody uh, what you're working on and where they can find you on social media and, and beyond? Yeah, uh, well, we are we're pretty much ramping up uh, over at the NFL. I mean, uh, you're all still, we, we, we miss you over there, Alex. We still, yep. uh, miss, we still miss you guys, too. Yeah, uh, so NFL Fantasy Live right now in the preseason. We are back Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, once we get to week one, we're back, you know, five days a week. Uh, over on NFL Network. Also, we have revamped what was the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. It is now the NFL Fantasy Football Show. Uh, so that's twice a week. It'll be three times a week in season. And beyond that, you can find me on oldtwitter.com at uh, Marcus G, M-A-R-C-A-S-G. Uh, you'll see my face on television and on the internet probably more times than you want to. But uh, appreciate everybody who uh, checks in and, and watches and listens and all that good stuff. Oh, we can never see your face on television and the internet enough, Marcus. It's a, it's a, it's a good-looking face, that's to be sure. Uh, All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in to the newly revamped uh, Most Accurate Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Share it on social media. The reviews really do help us out. So even if you want to leave a review, make it five stars and tell me how much worse I am than Greg. That is great as well. Thanks to Marcus <laughs> Grant for joining me as well. Uh, we'll let the music carry you guys out, and I'll see you soon. I'm the king.